This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth-hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. Welcome, everybody, to 52 Living Ideas. We are back for the next chapter in the evolving self. We are finally in part two, the section where we moved away from doom and gloom and on to thinking about the future. Although we have quite a, I'm going to say complex chapter. I think complexity is the word of the day. And we've got uh, quite an intensive presentation today because we're really digging into a lot of the fundamental principles of evolution, which is then going to set us up for our next chapter, where we finally, officially, explicitly get into talking about uh, evolution and flow. But today is going to be all about evolution, and um, just turn it over to Marissa so we can get started with the presentation. Okay, so we're looking here. This is our usual definition. We just want to remind you when we speak of flow here together, we are addressing specifically Mihail Csikszentmihalyi's definition. We'll just say MC. I shall say MC henceforth. I felt like, you know, I was challenged by DLJ, so I had to mm-hmm. give it the good old faithful shot. Okay, so flow. What is flow when we're speaking of flow here today? For us, we're looking at flow as the state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. The experience itself is so enjoyable that people will do it even at great cost. We also have, um, you know, we haven't thrown it up in a while, the diagram, but we, we do um, tell you that flow channel is, it's a graph and you're looking at that sweet spot in the middle between your skills and your challenges. And that's um, what we're looking at when we're talking about flow. You find that perfect balance in between. It's a range. And that's how you're going to find yourself falling into flow. And if you work towards continually aiming for that balance, you'll be able to find yourself in flow more often. Oops, did I go too far? No, I didn't. Okay, so um, this here, this is a little bit of a Maritza went rogue slide. Um, But it was important too, because this was a really (laughs) fundamental concept. And he's not using this word organism in the way that we normally use it, even in biology. I was going to say in normal conversation, but not even in normal biology. So, Right. So now you guys know if I see something that tends to be a little questionable or murky or unclear, I feel the need to write a dissertation on it. This is what you get here. So when we say organism, what is an organism? Merriam-Webster tells me it's a complex structure of interdependent and subordinate elements whose relations and properties are largely determined by their function in the whole. Um, I like the very end of the second one. I'm not going to read the second one to you. A living being. So that's the question here, though, is that usually when we're talking about evolution, we're talking about it as being the thing that living organisms do. And we're being challenged by MC to expand our view of what living means because he gave the example of, he called them vants. 
These are virtual ants that do all kinds of unpredictable things on a computer screen. And he's wondering whether or not these things are alive. And with the advent of AI technology, this is going to increasingly be an issue, I mean, a question. Um, and also it's even like something, you know, I love that he puts in quartz crystals because it reminds me that there, there still does have, there exists a debate for the level of what would be living for plants even. So, you know, he's just asking us to expand our organism. Can it reproduce? We're gonna give it this, we're gonna, we're gonna loosely say that it falls under this banner. And he's doing this on purpose. He's doing this because he needs organism to be able to include thoughts and ideas. Exactly. So Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying last time we had a whole lively conversation about memes. And so we're going to be back to talking about memes again. And exactly, MC is going to want to even think about how it is that memes can reproduce um, and perhaps go through something like an evolutionary process. So he's giving us this expanded definition of organism to think with here. I'm just gonna read that for you really quickly. Any mm -hmm. system of interrelated parts that needs inputs of energy to keep existing. So whenever he says the word organism, you're like, that can't be. Remember the definition he's using and temper your disbelief. <laughs> I'm gonna move on, Joya, unless you have yeah, something else to Yeah, let's get onto those, no, yeah, let's get into all those seven principles. So Marissa and I both agreed that this chapter, it was very long, it was very intense and complex, and it probably should have even been divided into multiple chapters, but we're gonna to try to go through and give you the most important highlights. So he started out this chapter by laying out different principles of evolution. And I think it will be important for us to at least go through all the, the principles that he lists out here. Um, and maybe we'll, we'll try to expand on some of these, but definitely maybe even start thinking about your own questions because this is something we can perhaps um, you know, take into the breakout rooms and when we're doing our large group discussion later on tonight. Um, so let's just maybe, I'll, like, I'll start going through them and then inwards if you wanna add in anything about some of them, just you know, feel free to, to jump in. So these are just some principles of evolution that he wants us to keep in mind. And don't forget that our goal here as we're going into part two of the book now is thinking about how we as human beings can take control of the evolutionary process to lead us to creating a better future for ourselves and the planet and the universe. So here are just some evolutionary principles he wants us to know. So number one was every organism tends to keep its shape and reproduce itself. Number two says in order to survive and to reproduce, organisms require inputs of external energy. Number three states that each organism will try to take as much energy out of the environment as possible limited only by threats to its integrity. Principle number four states that organisms that are successful in finding ways to extract more energy from the environment for their own use will tend to live longer and leave relatively more copies of themselves. That really kind of gets into the first three were really, uh, you know, sort of the, providing the basis of evolution. Now we're really even getting into the evolutionary process here. Number five is that when organisms become too successful in extracting energy from their habitat, they may destroy it and themselves in the process. 
Number six says there are two opposite tendencies in evolution. Changes that lead toward harmony, i.e. the ability to obtain energy through cooperation and through the utilization of unused or wasted energy, and those that lead toward entropy, are ways of obtaining energy for one's purposes through exploiting other organisms, thereby causing conflict and disorder. And I think you can even see here why in the previous chapters, he went into so much detail. For example, when we were examining parasites and predators, it's all kind of leading us up to think about evolution in these ways. And lastly, principle number seven states that harmony is usually achieved by evolutionary changes involving an increase in an organism's complexity. That is an increase in both differentiation and integration. And this is definitely a major idea that we're going to want to talk about more in our discussion tonight. Uh, to me, this is, I think, the most important principle for us to be thinking about. Um, thinking about the connection between evolution and increasing in complexity and the ways that complexity is related to both differentiation and integration. And I agree a thousand percent with that. And um, again, I had to stop myself from doing like many slides on differentiation and integration. And instead, we'll just chat about it in our breakout sessions. Exactly. Because um, I, I think that is going to be the most interesting section. And hopefully, we'll have a really good discussion about it with everybody. Right. And we, we may, I may reference some of these principles as we go along to the other slides. So the next section of the book gets into the nature of complexity. And this is gonna be a really important concept. So if you were with us for our examination of the first book, the original flow, the psychology of optimal experience book, you might remember that MC's idea of flow is that it involves increasing the complexity of the self. So in this chapter now, we're really going to start to go deep into this idea of complexity and tying it to evolution. So this is a section on the nature of complexity. The main point here is that complexity is not necessarily the direction in which evolution inevitably progresses, but it is the direction in which it must move to secure us a livable future. And he's going to argue here that complexity is going to give us a benchmark for evaluating the direction of evolution. Um, and there's, I think, a lot to say here about what uh, complexity is. So he, he, he kind of goes into this section of trying to contrast complexity versus complication. Um, but I think we're going to see that we're ultimately going to discuss complexity with these ideas of differentiation and integration. To me here, the, um, the most important thing is this separation of complexity versus complicated. Um, it seems so simple, but you know, I think we often do assume that a thing that is complicated is also complex. And so I really um, appreciate MC spelling that out for us, that that is not only not necessarily true, it is in fact rarely ever true. And so I, I think that that's a, that one thing right there is, something that almost indirectly allows one to look at a thing with the lens for, does there exist complexity? If you view it as something that's complicated, 
that could be a ping to you to take a step back and to, you know, evaluate it because in your mind now, you may think, oh, it's complicated. It may not be complex. What is it doing in my life? Is it something I need in my life? How is it shaping me or those things around me? Yeah. I'll say here too. So I think one of the, the interesting ideas here is he, he, he makes this argument that in many ways, it seems that complexity functions, as he says here, a central principle of evolution, because it seems that many times when uh, organisms are competing for energy, it is the more complex one that will have the advantage, although he points out that that's not always the case. Um, that might even be something for us to think about and, and discuss if we think that's true, or if there's ways to think about maybe when complexity will or won't win out. Uh, but then he's going to make this point that it's precisely because complexity doesn't prevail automatically and inevitably that it's up to us to take responsibility for ensuring complexity for the future. And I think that's going to lead us into our, our discussions ultimately of what we're going to want to do with flow. So then we're going to go into another section that I thought, again, could have been a whole chapter unto itself because he's going to bring up the topic of morality and evolution. So a lot to say here, um, but he's going to make the point that if we are to, to direct evolution toward greater complexity, we have to find an appropriate moral code to guide our choices. So again, this is the idea of we need to be intentional um, about making sure that humanity progresses in this way that favors complexity. And then so thinking about what would be the moral code that makes that possible. Um, and then this is gonna get us into thinking about means as well. Uh, so as he points out here, every social system must develop means to keep the intergroup harmony that genes no longer can provide. These means constitute the moral system, and generally they have been the most successful attempts humans have developed to give a desirable direction to evolution. And so again, if you weren't here uh, with us the last time when we had the whole discussion about memes, uh, you might even want to go back, check out the recording, but here he's using memes in the original Richard Dawkins sense of thinking of memes as cultural products. So the important uh, you know, ideas and artifacts that humans have developed that get passed on from generation to generation and how these uh, reproduce in a way that is connected with evolution. And so here now he's making the connection between memes and our moralities. And what he's telling us here is that, you know, there's there's no way to get away from this concept. You know, he says that in every human group ever known, notions about what is right and what is wrong have been among the central defining concerns of the culture. And we can see that if we look historically and he's saying, if it's going to happen anyway, why not attempt to shape how it's going to happen? Actually, he's going one step further than that. And he's saying, in addition to why not, Oh, by the way, I believe one must. And, and that's where he's going to, he's telling us that as we get more complex, as we get further along in our evolutionary path, we are more and more required to ensure that the moral codes are going to bring about 
positive results for this evolutionary path. And, and so we can't, we have to be more cognizant of what they are and what's shaping them. Exactly. So next he wants to have a conversation about eugenics, mostly because we're gonna see in the next section, he wants to talk about a really, I think, interesting concept that he calls eumemics. Um, but before that, he wants to think about eugenics and how human beings have tried to control the population, but admitting here that there has not really ever yet been a successful way to think about how we control population. But as I, as I said, I think the, the eumemics uh, uh, conversation is definitely the more interesting one here. I agree. This is a sticky topic. Moving on to the next slide. So then on to eumemics. So we probably should even just give a, a definition here because this is definitely a, a neologism that he has coined. Um, so it, it's a combination of these Greek roots. So the EU, the U is the root for uh, good and memes um, is, is uh, means imitation. So eumemics is you know, good imitation. So essentially what he's talking about here are the good ideas and cultural products that human beings have developed that we want to make sure are reproduced and passed down to future generations. So he says here that if we wish to begin directing evolution, it is not only genes that we need to be concerned about, we must look to the memes that are being propagated in our societies. Uh, and then he also has uh, three steps that he recommends here for eumemics. I don't know if you want to talk about any of those. Uh, I do kind of tangentially. I, I just want to point um, that these are all um, action things. These are their guides towards intentionality is what they all are. So it brings us back to that very basic concept. And, and again, you guys, by now you're used to hearing me use that word over and over and I'm beating you over the head with it. You know, intentionality is the method in which one can wrangle some type of control over one's consciousness. Um, it's the best way to make the attempt. You know, the mind at rest slides into chaos. So how do you avoid this? By thinking, by looking at the intentionality. Um, I do wanna read a little tiny bit of, from this section that MC tells us outside of the, these three steps. Um, he says, is it, it is essential to remember that every time we invest attention in an idea, a written word, a spectacle, every time we purchase a product, every time we act on a belief, the texture of the future is changed, even in microscopic ways. The world in which our children and their children will live is built minute by minute through the choices we endorse with our psychic energy. Remember that psychic energy he's equating to your attention. It is not only the legislation we help pass, the wars we help wage, the great inventions and works of art that will shape the future. 
but also our small habits of mind and behavior. The way we talk to our children, how we spend our free time, whether we always increase the consumption of finite resources or whether we find ways to live within less wasteful limits. These small choices, these trivial decisions have as much weight in the long run as all of Napoleon's wars. I think that is the most impactful paragraph that I have read in this book thus far. He has been saying this to us softly and nudgingly in the last six chapters. The world in which our children and their children will live is built minute by minute through the choices we endorse with our psychic energy that I don't think a stronger picture could be made for the concept that small things matter. And that is what I would like you to hold on to as we move forward, because I believe this is going to come out fiercer and stronger as we move forward in the rest of the chapters of the book. Joya and I are reading this with you, so we don't actually know what's coming next, but that's my thoughts. And even if it doesn't, this is the paragraph to take away thus far. If you don't read anything else in the book, this is on page 167. Find it, read it, highlight it. This is what you should remember. And it's true, Horace and I, we are reading this book along with you, but uh, we both noted the next chapter is finally all about evolution and flow. And we know what flow is all about, and it, it is all about how you spend your attention. So definitely thinking about what your intentions are is going to be crucial to, to what's coming up here. Right. Next slide. So uh, finally here, we're gonna talk about the complexity of consciousness. And the main point here is that the key to directing the path of evolution lies in developing greater complexity. We cannot begin to learn or know how to direct evolution in the direction of greater complexity unless our consciousness becomes more complex. And here we have the tie to flow. Because if you remember, uh, flow was all about becoming more complex in our consciousness and developing a more complex self. So this, this is going to be the springboard that's going to take us to that, that next chapter. Um, and so just uh, like one more point here that I think it's important to stress that uh, he says here, a community concerned about the survival of its skills and values needs to invest in more than just schools if it wants to preserve, let alone advance the complexity its former members have so painfully acquired. So this is the point again that, you know, as Marissa is saying, that we need to think about how to be intentional for ourselves and also for our communities, for our relationships with our family, our friends, uh, you know, people we work with, the communities we develop, like here at 52 Living Ideas, um, you know, and to have then that intentionality both uh, you know as individuals and as communities uh, so that we can pass along the best means to the future so in looking in this slide you know i'd like to remind you guys again that um 
he would uh, MC would equate consciousness with the concept of a soul, as it were. If people are talking about a soul, he's saying most times what you're talking about that inner core that would be your consciousness. Um, also, the so this is the heart of what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to kind of get some control over our own consciousness. And so I, I read this and I despair a little because I'm like, okay, so wait a minute. First, I got to figure out how to wrangle this consciousness. Now I need to figure out how to make it more complex. How do I know it's not complex enough? Or, and, and I think after reading this again, the answer is that I should operate from the assumption that my consciousness is not complex enough and that most complex, most consciousnesses are not complex enough that in fact, if we make that our primary assumption, we can move forward with the idea that as we're seeking to take wrangle control over our consciousness a little bit, and you know, as we go forth, we also are looking to increase its complexity. And that's where we get back to these concepts of differentiation and integration. Um, or even if you think about depth and breath, you know, we, mm -hmm. we came up yesterday, I don't even remember what meetup I was in yesterday, but I was in a meetup where this came up. And the idea, um, <laughs> that's terrible, differentiation and integration I was looking at it from the perspective of what was learning. It was comprehensive learning. Oh my gosh, terrible. So the idea of comprehensive learning, it, it kind of we, we we briefly touched upon the idea of depth and breadth. And what came to mind for me again was the differentiation versus integration. I conundrum maybe or question concern issue. And what does that mean here? It means that we have to find ways to differentiate for, you know, and this is a survival skill, you know, you're going to find, and it's, it's what um, time and time happens to a degree naturally, right? So we want to increase the scope, but then you reach a point where it's too much. And somebody yesterday kept talking about, I am so many years old, it is too monumental a task. There are too many things. There's too much, too much knowledge, too much this, that, or the other thing. Too, and, and it's so heavy to bear. How does one sift through it? How do we, how does one take control over a consciousness that has so many parts? That's the question that, you know, I, I'm, I was chewing on because of my, my chatter, granted, slightly different topic, but every, you know, so many of them intertwine. And it brought me back to, um, in this section here, we're told about, um, you know, MC speaks a little of Confucius and um, I apologize to Joe because Joe was here yesterday. So he has to listen to me read this again. It's very short, but to give you an example of the way that gaining control over your consciousness and finding a way to increase its complexity, complexity does not need to be so heavy a burden. He, he gives us a very small little section from Confucius 
he says, um, he's, he's talking specifically about education when he brings up this quote. And he's talking about the idea of, um, and it is this, this differentiation versus integration concept. So this is from Confucius Analex, chapter 15, verse three. The master said, Sue, do you take me for one who studies much and remembers it all? Yes, was the reply. Is it not so? No, I link all upon a single thread. And that was a powerful thing to me because it's this idea that the goal is not to keep viewing all of these differentiated things as their parts. So you break them apart and, or you're, you're, you're amassing them as parts, but you have to find a way to integrate them so that you're viewing them more as one because they're, you know, it's, I link all upon a single thread. This is how one can achieve complexity without being so burdened by the weight of all of this differentiation. Hopefully that makes sense. It made perfect sense to me. And so I really felt the need to share it with you. It doesn't make sense, sorry. Um, and that's all I wanted to share for that. Now, we're actually doing really great on time, Joya. Yeah, I know. So maybe we should uh, give ourselves this goal to uh, try to, to, to go through everything. So was there anything else that, um, that you wanted to say before we jump into the breakout rooms here? I did want to see if you were amenable to it. I'd like to see if anyone had any clarification questions prior to us jumping into the, um, like we can get, we can get more in-depth questions after breakout. Mm -hmm. I just was wondering, did we confuse you? Because this is a, a lot in this chapter. Mm -hmm. Oh, so CLJ you? has one here. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Um, about what exactly consciousness means in this context. Oh, I should have given you MC's definition of consciousness. So he, he equates it to, well, he says soul, but then he prefaces it by saying he doesn't mean a mythical soul. Joya, you want to jump sure in here? That <laughs> yeah, say I was going to say, like, I don't, I don't know if he's, oh, sorry. Did, did you want to say something about your question? No, no, just say I'm not sure that helps that much. You, you said consciousness. He's, it's a soul, but not the mythical soul. Okay, so I know what it's not now. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't think he even defines consciousness in, in this chapter, but, um, but usually when he's talking about consciousness, he's usually talking about this idea of psychic energy. Um, like at least that's what really came up in the flow book because he's so interested in the concept of attention and how we can control our psychic energy. So I'm gonna assume that that's, that's probably what his, focus is on in this chapter as well. Um, would you think that that's right, Martha? Or so do you I, think that's I do view it a little differently just because he's he's often equating psychic energy with attention. Mm -hmm. um, well, no, I mean, I guess it could be because he has equated in the flow book, he does equate consciousness with attention. Mm -hmm. And so he, he does equate those. So maybe for sake of less confusion, Wait, wait. I'm gonna try to say, 
Oh, sorry, I was I'm I was trying to find. I think I found it. There's one one part of this this section where he does kind of get into this. He doesn't really give us a definition, um, but he is talking about um, like what makes us different from other animal species is the variety and mutual dependence of our psychic processes. Being able to remember, to abstract, to reason, to control attention are some of the most important functions that set people apart from their primate cousins. Um, so presumably that that's part of even what he's talking about when he's talking about human consciousness here, at least in this chapter. Thank you. Did that help? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't agree with it, but yeah. Certainly don't agree with the psychic energy one. That's very Jungian. <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, the, the other thing I need, uh, if we're a clarification phrase, apologies for this, because I'm male and I can't multitask. Uh, you were tell, you were reading a quote and I was reading the slide. And then uh, once I tuned into what you were saying, you said, this is the most important thing. And I'm going, I missed it. <laughs> so you can leave that there with the breakout room if you like, but the most important thing I think I've just missed because I was still reading the slide. <laughs> Sorry, don't know. If everybody else no, got it, ignore me, but I, I missed it. So yeah. That's, yeah. that's a good point. I think it was a, you know, a really good quote. Do you want to just read it one more time, Maritza? Because I think it's worth even hearing again so we all can ponder. Okay, so you're talking about the paragraph I read. Yeah. Okay, so this is on page 167. And um, later, when we come back from the breakout rooms, I, I can write it up and throw it onto the chat for you guys. So cool. bottom of the page 167. It is essential to remember that every time we invest attention in an idea, a written word, a spectacle, every time we purchase a product, every time we act on a belief, the texture of the future is changed, even if in microscopic ways. The world in which we, I'm sorry, the world in which our children and their children will live is built minute by minute through the choices we endorse with our psychic energy. It is not only the legislation we help pass, the wars we help wage, the great inventions and works of art that will shape the future, but also our small habits of mind and behavior the way we talk to our children, how we spend our free time, whether we always increase the consumption of finite resources or whether we find ways to live within less wasteful limits. These small choices, these trivial decisions have as much weight in the long run as all of Napoleon's wars. So again, I think just pointing out, you know, because I, I, I agree because that, that description is it's lengthy, but it's almost poetic in getting to all of the significance of the different kinds of choices that we can make. And then just pointing out how each of these choices, he's going to argue here, will affect the progress of evolution, at least the evolution of our memes, our cultural products, and what the future will be. Any other questions then before we go to the breakout rooms? So Marissa, do you have the capacity here to set up the breakout rooms? Because I realize I have to be on my phone and my phone doesn't support the breakout room 
function, unfortunately, but I think you should have that. So I'll even just give you guys the, the question here that uh, we thought we could use as a jumping off point for the discussion. So this is a question that is inspired by one of the questions that MC asks in his uh, further thoughts at the end of this chapter. But uh, Marissa had this great idea to expand the question out. So the, the question in the original form says, do you think that the family in which you grew up was a complex one, i.e. was differentiated? Did it give you freedom and stimulation as well as integrated? Was it supportive and harmonious? If you had to make some changes in your own family, what would they be? And I agree, I like this question because I think it takes it down to a very personal level and, and thinking about how complexity and differentiation and integration function in our relationships. But Marissa thought, uh, you know, in addition to thinking about how this operated in the past, because you know, this is thinking about the family you grew up in, so it's kind of really focused on the past, to maybe even think about not only your past family, but your current relationships, your current family structure, your friends, your work relations, the communities we build, like here at 52 Living Ideas. So again, the question is to think about, you know, are your communities complex? Are they differentiated in that they give you freedom and stimulation, um, as well as integrated, giving you support and that sense of harmoniousness? So that is the question. And you can do that for 20 minutes. Right. Okay. Yeah, take it away, Julia. So we are now at the section of the meeting where uh, people get to bring up, um, you know, any questions that came up in their groups that they want to share with the broader group, uh, also any takeaways that you might have got from the chapter and just any other questions that you might want to have about what we discussed tonight. I know in our group, Sharon had a really good question, which I'm, I'm hoping she's going to be able to uh, remember what she said. Um, maybe DLJ and I will have to try to help her piece it together, but it was a good question. I'm putting her on the spot, I know. Yeah, now I'm trying to remember what that was <laughs> or how exactly I worded it. I was thinking more of different per oh, um, perspectives where if you are raised with more direction, eventually you wind up either going away to college or just moving out of the house at some point as an adult and doesn't that expand naturally expand your world? Uh, opening up new perspectives and giving you, a, you know, the opportunity to figure out for yourself what segment of society you want to be part of, which means you agree with. So we were just tossing around that concept. Yeah, that's how I remember. Like, I, I remember, I'm, I'm going to write down the question is, um, like, like, the way I remember you even said it was like, doesn't it just happen naturally? Um, like this idea of eumemics, that, that the good memes are what ultimately get passed on that doesn't that just happen naturally because you know as people grow older they 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 hold on to whatever it was from the different aspects of their past that they found valuable so that was a question so I guess if anybody else wants to um you know ask questions and right now I'll just try to maybe compile the different questions and then we can you know go through them and see what see what people think DLJ has his hand up. DLJ next. Okay, yeah. I have a bit of a problem with the uh, idea of good memes because it does imply some sort of consequentialist foresight of what is good. 
so 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 is that the question like like does does the concept of good memes imply how do we know it's, how do we know it's good Oh, I'm sorry, unmuted. I, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, I guess DLJ and then Joe. No, I was just, yeah, just saying, how do we know what was good without having the foresight, without knowing the future? Mm -hmm. Without knowing the future. Okay. Joe, did, did you have something you wanted to add to that or contribute? Uh, no, no. I was trying to think through what I would even, how I would even answer the question. <laughs> I was thinking out loud and I realized I was unmuted. Um, one of the, um, but I, I, th I thought one of the questions in the book that was right after the ones that you and Maritza had given us before we went into the breakout room was actually pretty good. Um, what external changes in your job or your daily schedule could you make your experiences more complex? Mm -hmm. I thought that that was an interesting question that we I don't know if any if you discussed it in your room, but I'd be interested in hearing what other people's answers were to that question. No, we, we did not discuss that in our room, but that that is a good question. I will definitely add that one to the list. Marissa, didn't you have one to add to the list here too? The one that I, was potentially the breakout room questions, and then I have the other several. one. Oh, sure. you have several now. Oh, right. Well, okay, wait, wait. I'm gonna keep it down in the interest of time. I have one that is a new one that came up based on my discussion with the group, um, the idea of constraint came up. So I would be curious to hear folks' thoughts on how do we balance the concept of you know, approaching things with intention and the concept of feeling constrained by one's constant, the word that comes to mind is vigilance. Maybe that's not the best word, but what I'm trying to say is how do we avoid feeling that this approach to an intentional consciousness, intentionally you know, intentionally controlling one's consciousness. How do we avoid that becoming something that feels like it's tightening on us as opposed to freeing? Hopefully you find a good way to word that. So maybe something along the lines of, like it seems like to a certain extent constraints are necessary, but uh, you know, how do we balance constraints with freedom? Yes. All right, and then you said you had another question, what question too, or more questions? The, it, this is again, a, I realize it's another question of, on constraints. This one might be a terrible question to throw out here, but I'm curious for folks' thoughts. The, you know, the, one of the questions that um, MC proposes to us is, is talking about community and he's asking us about the rights of a community. And my question is, how do we view this or how do we find a, a balance or how does a community find a balance between what is their right for the improvement of all versus you can never 
be for the improvement of all. And so there is collateral damage. What's the, how is that determined? The acceptable amount of collateral damage that happens for the improvement of the collective consciousness. Or maybe if for those who have some issue with consciousness, the collective evolutionary path perhaps. Okay, so here it's balancing the rights of the community with the acceptable um, uh, amount of collateral damage. Maybe it's maybe it's for so to keep evolution going. Something like that. Maybe it's so simple of how do we balance the rights of the community versus the rights of the individual. Okay. With regards to this concept of of collateral damage. Vaccines, anyone? Is that where you're going with this one? I plead the fifth. <laughs> you accidentally muted yourself, Joya. Oh, sorry about that. I was gonna say, I know you still have one more question, Maritza, and maybe more. I oh, don't, now you're on mute. Maritza, you're on mute. Martha? Oh, I did the same thing you did. Um, yep. I said, no, in the interest of time, let sure. me, um, well, okay, I lied. No, one more question. Do you struggle more with differentiation or integration and why? Ah, interesting. Okay. So does anybody else have any other questions? to add to the table, although this definitely, we definitely have a good number of questions here. So, but just wanna make sure anyone else wants to suggest anything, you can type exclamation point in the chat, although we have a small group today too. So, well, you guys can think about it. Why don't we start with the question that uh, MC even came up with in the book here. This this broad one about uh, what external changes in your job or your daily schedule could make your experiences more complex. Did your group discuss that one at all? We did a little. Marco, Joe, you guys want to chime in? There's a apparently an epidemic oh. of those of us unable to learn how to unmute. I was actually going to go <laughs> type mute. exclamation point for a moment. Um, so what would happen, the way we discussed it is this idea of willingly getting outside of your comfort zone um, as a way of kind of making changes, making intentional changes um, uh, that is maybe, it, it is a way of uh, um, answering the, making it complex as opposed to complicated or it's an external change that it's forced upon you. So I'm thinking about it in terms of, so if I think learning is actually a really good way to, uh, to bring complexity to your life and to actually get outside your comfort zone and to integrate new information and to kind of uh, uh, ensure that you're, um, I, I think that that 
provides for more of a complex experience. 52 living ideas provides for a more complex experience that you're taking more information in. And this kind of gets to what Maritza was asking with, which one do you struggle with, with the, uh, with the um, uh, integration or the uh, differentiation? And mm -hmm. the idea of differentiation within that process um, I think that that's really kind of making things more complex if you're doing it intentionally. Uh, and then, uh, so that that's where I looked at, okay, well, what would you do differently? Well, 52 living ideas, taking courses, uh, it could even be exercise and things along those lines. Um, so whatever it may be that changes, that adds to the complexity to your life uh, that you're actually moving and you're in somewhat control of. Um, whereas, again, what's the opposite? Complicated, right? Complicated to me would be something like you're standing still. You're not necessarily changing your daily routine. You're getting stuck into your routine. You're not integrating new information, and then that that leads to uh, that leads to there, what you may seem like order, but it ultimately ends up in chaos uh, because you stagnate uh, in your development overall. So, um, I mean, that was the way I was thinking about it. And so how would you practically come away with changing your schedule? I mean, you know, um, I think that, that there are endless things that you can do. Uh, you know, for me, it could be, you know, it is 52 living ideas and meetups, obviously. Uh, so that's how I increase my complexity, as I understand it, so. Bill gets paid to do commercials for 5211 ideas. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. We're a small group. I'm playing. Sorry. It looks like DLJ has uh, some thoughts about this one. Yeah, I've got a question for Joe. I, I thought at some stage, because I realized I don't know too much about you, didn't you at one point hint that you were a consultant? I was, yes. Okay, so people ask you all the time, right? How do you make yourself more efficient, more effective, um, more complex rather than complicated? Do you do it from a business point of view? What's your consulting stuff going? Is it business? Is it from a, what do you mean, business point of view? Are you a business consultant or a management consultant? or a I was, yes, yes. Okay, so yes. you have, in that case, you already know all the answers, right? Because we pay you to tell us, right? Well, that, that's right. Well, it, 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 well, here's the, here's the real question. Is it original? Is the answer original? Um, you know, because uh, if you're talking about designing a real solution, I would say yes, it should be original, um, that it shouldn't be cookie cutter. Uh, I think that it should be unique to the situation. Um, that, that's if you're looking at it from a design thinking point of view. In some ways, it could be just more efficient, uh, and I can get, yes, that's where you use intellectual capital, <laughs> essentially, that, uh, yeah, that, that allows you to move a little bit faster, a little bit cheaper, but it's not always more effective. So you've already got a catalog of thinking tools, or intellectual capital, as you say, that... Uh... Well, yeah, that's the reason they pay those firms. Those firms don't get, <laughs> those firms, that's all they have is their intellectual capital. That's right. So um, you've got more than one cookie cutter. <laughs> uh, yes and no. It, it, every, every consulting firm has its own unique 
um, approach to how they approach the solution. They copy each other sometimes, but so they're not that unique. <laughs> there's, a lot there, there's a lot of copying that goes on, but but they do have a unique approach uh, in their cultures. Are you, you're IT now, right? No. No, what are you? I forgot. So, but you're. I forgot what it is you're you're doing in the um, name finance. Right. So you are you're doing finance. How did I not know that? Yeah. So, I for a little bit, Joe and I worked in the same. Um, not in the same building, but in the same little area, contractors for the government. Well, he was government. Um. Anyway, for some reason, I always thought you did IT, and I was like, "Duh, that's the data infra infrastructure he brings." But you're saying it's all from your consulting background. I learned something new. Yep. That's terrible. I should have known that. It's all systems stuff, but yeah. So, so now that we've this, discovered, this, I'm a this conversation person. has just gotten more complicated <laughs> so now, yep. it's less complex yep we've decided maritza's a terrible friend she doesn't ask enough questions no she makes assumptions. we've decided that this is 52 living ideas and you learned <laughs> something today so indeed indeed <laughs> all right there, there is there is actually a, a parallel there because you're essentially saying these consulting firms are differentiated they have their differentiators but because of crossover and uh the fact that people move from one company to another quite regularly there there's a level of integration too right? sure yes absolutely and i think that there well there's a level of integration in the sense that they buy one another all the time too yeah. <laughs> so there's a bigger integration with that so yeah that's merger and acquisitions um which has but, its animal in biology also absolutely yeah. absolutely definitely as it's it's there's organic growth, and then there's actual uh, inorganic growth, which is a mer merger and acquisition, which is actually much more challenging uh, yeah. than in, than something that comes organically. So, something a company that grows really well organically would be Amazon, um, but uh, consulting firms, by their nature, they don't grow that well organically. Yeah. So MC might be onto something. Um, I'd like to add a little bit onto this question. Well, not to the, onto the answer of the question, apologies, clarifying. I'm a big fan of the one foot in front of the other. Eat it. I really um, find that, I mean, that is the best way to, um, to effect bring about effective change. And I know that sounds very unsexy, but it's it's the idea of, you know, if you're get, putting yourself out of the comfort zone, if you're somebody who's afraid of heights, you cannot try to go climb Mount Everest, Everest tomorrow. There's gonna be failure there or a higher potentiality for failure. And you may do more damage to your psyche, to your perceptions, in making that leap. So um, perhaps something more incremental is warranted. And um, maybe that's a little too logical, but that's kind of the way I view it. Um, that, you know, I, I have an immense sense of internal discipline. If I decide I'm doing something, I'm doing it, but I, I don't ever do it <laughs> by going from one to Mount Everest. Um, 
very slow, plodding, and methodical. Um, but I, I mean, it works. I have found that uh, one can get out of one's comfort zone using baby steps. It may take you a little longer to get out there, but you can still get out. Um, so I, I don't know, that's just my, my two thoughts on that one. And I, and I think you can get to be more and more complex. Like I, I, somebody here mentioned exercise. I think the LJ did. And just two, two more seconds. If we look at that example specifically, um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna run. Well, most of you all you see is my head, so you have no idea, right? So I've been, I've been working on getting healthier, and I've been doing it through exercise. And you know, I actually very much have dropped quite many pounds during the pandemic. And you get people saying, "Oh, what's your, what's your magic secret?" And I always tell them, "There is none. Move more, eat less." Um, I when I, when I started, I actually, so I also have, you know, different physical, whatever, whatever. And it was a matter of, I had to start as low. I was doing an exercise that was rated for, you know, like 65 and over crowd because it's really all I could do. Like I could really get up and walk. And, but then I started pushing myself like, oh, maybe I can do a 30 second um, little like March or, and then, so as time goes on, the months go by, you find you can do an hour's worth of a low impact cardio. And, and it's, that's the progression has been that way. And it's the same with weights. You know, if you, if you decide you're going to switch and start doing a weight lifting program, you're probably not going to start. Well, I don't know, guys might. Anyway, anybody stronger than me might start with actual weights. I started with cans of beans they're coconut cans right so those are one pound yes I know that's really doing nothing for you but it's more than empty hands and that's and for me that was stretching out of my comfort zone and it sounds silly to say but I, I believe that it's just if you have the determination to get out there it's okay if it takes you a while to do it and, and it's because and this is why I really I'm a fan of the idea that overarching, the most important is that forward movement. And the reason that getting out of one's comfort zone and you know, seeking to find this differentiation and integration, um, you know, that the dance is because if you're not finding that dance, you're not moving. And if you're not moving, you're not living. And ultimately, isn't that what we all want to be living? So my two cents there, thanks. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing. Anybody else wanna share two cents here? Maybe let's go to that next related question then about which do you struggle with more differentiation or integration? Or maybe we can even put the positive spin on it and say which one maybe do you find easier, uh, differentiation or, or integration? Yeah, that's an easy one for me, um, being an isolationist. Um, so I'm okay. The one I struggle with most is the simulation. Uh, I was mentioning in, in the breakout room. So when you go to another country, there's a certain point by at which you just say, "I'm not following the local rules," but then 
do you have the right to be there is, is the question I always have in my mind, right? So if you've gone to a foreign country and you don't want to obey the rules, so I'm talking about social rules here. Um, so you, in other words, they're not going to make me believe in Mohammed, right? Okay, I'm just not going there, right? Can't, can't do it. Um, but I will take my shoes off in the mosque. You know, I mean, there's, there's, you know what I mean? There's a limit in terms of how far I will integrate, but full assimilation is can't I just can't do it right because I've got my own preconditioning as we all have I guess right but I guess you are integrating that I mean and I that's part of the whole idea of being harmonious correct yeah. so then yeah I mean so you're by the definition of what MC is using then you're you're pretty much you're integrating it's fine it's true. but there's also some areas where I will Full assimilation. Well, will also challenge as well, and it depends which country, right? I mean, there's certain things I'm happy to say in Malaysia, which make them go, "Whoo!" Which I wouldn't say in Pakistan. When I went there, I thought I might actually get into serious trouble. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, so yes, I, I integration to a degree is one of was yeah harmony, as you say. But I quite enjoy discord as well as the other thing being contrarian. So there are, yeah, assimilation, no, integration to a degree, differentiation is still instinctively. Well, diversity is the other word, isn't it? Diversity is generally considered to be a good thing, right? But not always, right? Well, I see them linked. I mean, because if you don't differentiate, there's nothing to integrate. Right. I mean, what are you integrating yeah. if you don't differentiate? So yeah. I, I see them one in the same. Like it, it's not a either or what do you, you know, now you may, um, if you're differentiating, yes, I guess to a certain degree, there's a struggle spectrum of which you struggle, how much you can integrate. But if you're not, X doesn't happen without Y in this particular instance. Yeah, so I think MC's point is that both are required, differentiation right. and integration. But the question is, I mean, yeah, the way the question is put is almost like it's separating them, right? Yeah, it is. And differentiation is easy because you can easily do that, right? Integration is always going to be the challenge. Well, maybe Marissa wants to step in and, and share because she was the one who brought up the question. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I can see too. I mean, I suppose you can make the the, the counter argument that integration is, is the easy one. You just kind of go along and do what everyone else is doing, whereas uh, you know differentiation is maybe harder because uh, you know you better you know go off on but your own. That, thing, but, but would that be differentiation then? Well, I mean, you hear even in in this this question he. So it was, it was interesting to me, like his examples of what differentiation were, he had freedom and stimulation, um, which would, to me, those aren't even necessarily related. Um, or, I mean, I suppose you could find the relations between them, but the, the connection wasn't necessarily apparent to me. But um, I guess even when I think about differentiation versus integration, sometimes I think about, let's say the individual versus the community. Um, yeah, and then sometimes you know it, it, it is it's just easier um, you know we you know we're, we are naturally born into part of a community uh, even if it's just a you know it takes two parents at least for a human being to, to to come into this world so you're in that sense you know most of us are born into some kind of community 
um, you know, and sometimes perhaps it's easier to just assimilate to use DLJ's word or integrate into that community rather than, uh, you know, differentiate ourselves. But, but I'm curious to hear even because this was Marissa's question, um, you know, maybe some of her perspective on how she was thinking about the, the question even. So I'm going to momentarily go technical on you. If I'm doing analysis of data, I'm looking at differentiation as looking at the change in quantity versus the unit change of something else. Um, if I'm looking to integrate data, I'm adding small bits of data into a larger parent. So the child up into the parent differentiation, I'm taking, it could be either parent to parent or child to child in a tree. If I'm talking about a data tree, um, a hierarchy of data trees. Um, so if I were looking at differentiation that way, right? Now, if I, how do I extrapolate that to match with MC's terminology? You know, as we already said, he very strangely gives an example of um, freedom and stimulation is differentiation. Supportive and har harmonious is integration. So what I'm thinking here is it's, if we look at it from the perspective of learning something, we're learning from more and more different things, right? So you're collecting snippets of knowledge. And so now you've got all this knowledge swirling around in your head in this big long halo. But if all you do is read the book, like say we don't bother to process this book, we'll have this book and then we'll have this book and then we'll have all these books running around our head, right? But if you just read it and moved on, you never actually integrated it. It, it, so it didn't actually enter in to be synthesized and processed. And if that didn't happen, well then it, you didn't grow. You just collected little bits and they're hanging around out here. You have to pull them in and they become mush, kind of like food does when it comes into us, right? So that's, how I view it, I know and I'm giving you guys visuals because I actually literally do, that's the way I view it, is that you're getting all this stuff, but the onus is on the self to integrate. And once the self integrates, now, this, now there's freed up space to collect more little bits. Um, this could be absolutely not what MC was talking about or thinking. It's kind of, that's better, that's Maritza's view. Um, so when I was wondering about which was more problematic, I think it was a matter of looking at it from, let's, let's look a little bigger. I used a very unelegant phrase in our breakout room of the community self. And I actually don't like that phrase. I'm gonna to have to go sit in the corner and figure out a better way to say that. But for lack of anything much better here, 
I was thinking that if we can equate that to a community consciousness. And then we look at what MC is saying. And let's remember, he's saying consciousness equals um, attention. And if I'm saying consciousness equals self, and we, we have an axio, almost axiomatic belief that, well, okay, let me rephrase. I have an almost axiomatic belief that self is primary. Not that everyone has this belief. I'm stating that as one of the things I hold to be fairly axiomatic. Now, if we, if we believe that, and we're trying to extrapolate it to a community level, how does one find the dance that works? How, do, how does the collective community collect different bits and then integrate them in a way that is beneficial to most? And I say most only because reality dictates the odds of getting 100% buy-in, very slim. Um, I deal with numbers all day, 100% is not as common as you would think, um, unless you're making a budget because then they want it almost down to the penny. But um, so this might be clear as mud and for that I apologize, but um, the, the thought here is that there's variables, there, there, these are all variables, right? And so how do we find it? It's, it's that question of the skills versus challenge. If we're seeking a sweet spot, how do we do that? And, and is the path towards doing that, figuring out where do we have more trouble? Do we have more trouble collecting or do we have more trouble bringing it in? And I actually answered it with a question and a lot of words, sorry guys. Wait, I'll jump in and say, I, I'm, you lost me a little bit when you mentioned this concept of the community self. So I'm, I, I personally at least so, was not following okay. what you meant so, there. <laughs> I believe that, and this is, it's a belief. So I'm not saying that this is factual or written down anywhere. My belief is that a culture takes on a life of its own as it were. The health of the culture lies within the health of its individuals. This is why we should endeavor to promote the individual's strength. A strong individual leads towards a strong culture, a strong community. Because what is a community if not a group of individuals? If the individuals are sick, it, it just extrapolates that the community has to be sick. There's no other way around it. So when I say the collective self, it's the, the group persona as it were. So I often say that this country, United States, is fairly cultureless, right? And that makes for a sick society. The reason I say that is because there's not enough unifying. This, this idea of the community, like a community-centric, um, certain things that are community-centric, that doesn't exist in some cultures, that's what I'm, that's where I'm getting at in that to build a strong culture, one needs strong individuals. 
But if we only have individuals, you can't get there. It seems almost paradoxical, but you, you can't, you definitely, so you can't, it's both. You cannot have a community without strong individuals, without individuals. But if the individuals are sick, the community is gonna be sick. So how do we create a, a mentality for the community or the culture where we can have this dance? Joya's like, still not getting it, sorry. We can just table it, we'll just leave it alone. It's Maritza, she gotta go to the corner and think some more, it's okay. There are plenty of, uh, there's a plethora of- Joya, you're muted, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, I, I was gonna say, I'm, I'm just gonna turn it over to, to the group because uh, maybe they've, they've done a better job at uh, following you here, so I'll, I'll leave it to them. Yeah, so there's a plethora of books on organizational change. So culture by definition, I'm going with the textbook here, is aggregate behavior. So you, even when you say that USA doesn't have a collective culture, it does, if you're looking from the outside. We think, oh, those Americans over here, right? We just see you as, because it's the, yeah, by definition, it's aggregate behavior, right? But the issue, of course, is where does that behavior from an individual come from? And of course, that's two things. That's the organizational ethics or the societal way of doing things, right? You grow up with, but you're challenged with it, different colleges and whatever. Right? Um, oh, Sharon's not there, but that was her point. Right? Um, versus your individual ethics, right? So it's that mm -hmm. clash between the two, right? And, and you're kind of hinting that you think there is a good path, right? You know, it's funny because you brought that question up earlier. And I, I was going to say that I actually find that MC uses good and bad a lot, almost yeah. more so than I think would be warranted. Right. I think it might be an issue because we don't know what the, I mean, the, if the US descends into a civil war, which, you know, doesn't seem completely unlikely, might actually be a good thing. I mean, we don't know, right? <laughs> I mean, you could make that argument about the original U.S. Civil War, and it, it led to the end of slavery. So, you know, yeah. bad in the short term, maybe good in the long term. And you're right; like MC doesn't necessarily. So he has that whole section about morality, um, you know, and asking us to question, you know, what 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 ought to be the moral code. But he didn't really go into so much detail about, you know, what what would be the standard of good uh, for that morality. But no, maybe he's just leaving us the question. Yes, maybe he's just leaving us with the question. Well, maybe let, let's go to um, DLGA's question, um, you know, about, uh, you know, what exactly we might mean by good memes, even if MC doesn't answer it. Maybe uh, someone in the group ha has some thoughts about uh, what, what might be the standard to determine what is a good meme. I think people have been arguing that for two and a half thousand years at least if not longer how long, how long have you got you've got five minutes to come up with the answer <laughs> put the timer on let's see if we can work it out well sometimes people work better under pressure <laughs> that actually is a principle of flow uh, you that, know, high that, consequences and deadlines uh, exactly the constraint, the constraint is the way exactly. the obstacle is the way mm -hmm. So there's a couple of ways of looking at it. We could simply say continuity or survival of the species, but we could also, I think it's quite reasonable to argue uh, that we should be focusing on 
how do we transfer our knowledge to the species that will come sentient after we've made ourselves extinct? So maybe that's what we should be working on. A sort of post-humanist kind of view of the world. The MC might be somewhere in between those two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, hedges his bet, doesn't he? He's, he's mm. closer. I, I don't think he's, he's all the way at the bottom, but I think he's, he's also all the way, I think, what do you think, Joya, somewhere in the middle? I mean, especially the way he wants to expand the concept of organism. I think, you know, he's right. definitely pointing in that direction. He's AI friendly. <laughs> he's AI curious. <laughs> no. I'm stealing that one. <laughs> That's the quote for the day. AI curious. Brilliant. Actually, I didn't consider that when you were talking about the organism thing. I was just sort of going, yeah, I'm okay with that. I hadn't thought of AI. <laughs> but yeah, I guess he is in incorporating that into by the de by the definition. Yes? Was that intentional? I think so. Oh, okay. I mean, he was writing this in the mid-90s, but I mean, even his example of the vants, um, you know, you know, seems to be... The ants? In that, yeah. The, the, yeah. He called yeah, them vants with a B. Yeah, the virus ants, computer You know what came ants? to mind is uh, I just saw a documentary. Well, I, I don't know. I was watching BBC's unusual or weird things and they actually had, somebody created little robots that can mimic um, our um, immune system. And it was super fascinating. And that's what came to mind. We were talking about these virtual ants. I was like, OMC. If you could see what's out there now. <laughs> and they, they, they act randomly. So the question is, are they, I mean, by his definition, those little tiny robots would be considered an organism. But would he argue that they're conscious? He didn't, he didn't say an organism had to have consciousness. He, mm -hmm. said, it, he said it had to, um, what did he say? There are the slides. There we go. Yes, I will bring it up. Um, but remember, he thought even a quartz crystal uh, could be considered an organism. Right. He said um, any system of interrelated parts that needs inputs of energy to keep existing. Sounds like a systems thinking kind of almost. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it really does. There's a lot of that interwoven in, in his writing, I find. I think it's too broad. I agree. Mainly because the definition I'm using for the book I'm writing <laughs> <laughs> ah. is that life has uh, bias. Life is, has a, a reading capability. It can read its environment, its internal and external environment. Self-aware. Uh, right. necessarily to the point where it can represent it um but interestingly yeah. enough so yeah, amoeba, amoeba for example right um can sense its environment internally and externally react to it right okay plant right but it's not necessarily something that can describe that environment to another amoeba right? that's correct yeah and it's got a signaling system too amoebas have that as well the chemical rather than so I would like to say these little mini robots can do that because what they're built for is to 
they program one of the robots to be a red light and all the other ones are blue lights. The blue lights sense the red light and surround it and isolate it so it can't touch anybody else. Because ultimately the goal is to shrink these down to microscopic size and put them inside people to target cancer. But so these, they're sensing the environment around them, these little robots. So they would still fit your definition. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, which, so the, the, the blue attracts to the red or the red attracts to the blue? Um, I think it was a red, um, well, they, they attract and repel each other, but the, it's the, whichever one they, because, you know, you can program it. Whichever one they say is the bad guy would be the red one. And then all the other ones are blue. I was just wondering if they were male or female, because male are more likely to be attracted to the red light. Never mind, don't worry. Well, they're robots. <laughs> oh, is that like nanotechnology, I think? It or? certainly is, yes. I don't know what they called them, but it was specifically, these are being made specifically to target cancer. Um, it was just, a, I don't know, the BBC here on Saturdays um, does, this is my idea of junk TV. BBC does like some little, I don't know, it's a show where you get like a, they'll do three or four little random clippets of science stuff. So in the what time the we have remaining, do we want to try to get to, to um, cause you still had another question too, that was maybe kind of related to this. Maybe it'll even help us answer this question. Cause you had this, this question about, um, you know, thinking about constraints versus freedom, you know, and kind of maybe how they're both necessary to a certain extent. Um, do you want to reiterate that question? And maybe even thinking about finding that balance between constraints and freedom gives us some direction for thinking about what constitutes good versus bad, potentially. I just look at it as, I mean, I, you know, you know, how much constraints, how much freedom do you want? I mean, I. I don't know, my mind immediately just goes to, you have to have a set of principles that you can operate. And that's enough constraint. It is a principle me. of constraint? It's, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's also an enabler potentially, but yeah, constraint. Yeah. Right, okay, I, <laughs> I would view it that way. So, you know, it occurs to me, maybe the answer is yes. Just yes. I mean, it's it to, to go to um, PLJ's concern or question on good versus bad, maybe it's just a matter of switching the perspective. If we, if we take away a good meme versus a bad meme and we ask the question, this is a meme that is out in the world. How can we shape it to suit us best? in the future. And that takes away the question of whether or not it's good or bad. No, it doesn't. How, how not? Best in the future. There's, there's an implication there of a goal. Well, if you're yeah. gone, if you're gone, what, uh, you, you can't know exactly what's gonna be in the future. Wait, I don't understand what you said. Please repeat. 
So best for the future implies there's there's some sort of goal, right? Or at least a, a well, there is a goal. Evolution. We're, we're, evolution is the goal. We we so we would like the um, information of today to be reimprinted to future uh, generations. That so that is the goal. There is an a goal. We assume that that's also the goal of memes because what we're saying here, what MC is saying to us that these memes also have the goal of evolution. And the sure. question okay. is. But I mean, we can guarantee passing on memes to the next generation, but those memes could be fascistic, for example. That's... I don't think we can guarantee it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying even if we could, right? So those memes could be detrimental maybe good for the survival of one group but mm -hmm. not the survival right. of other groups right? so if we decide if if the meme that gets passed on is ethnic cleansing is good that'll that'll ensure the survival of one group right, right. Well, well obviously we cannot actually know if the meme turns out to be vastly destructive in the future all one can do is with the data you have now if one is going to prop up that meme i think it's if you're it's a mat i don't know yeah, what just, i see but you you're attending the other meetup group with um on digital catholicism right indeed yes and the opposite is being advocated that we should we should delete our memory and go back to fantasy is <laughs> that's one of the themes i keep hearing a lot right so um don't pass it on and then go back to medieval um yeah, take that up with our Catholic friend and we'll see how that goes there. Well, at some point, it's I mean, more of a retrieval. It's more of a retrieval, right? It's not. What I hear, totally. the loudest message I hear from that group is that we need to remember what came before and walk forward with that memory fiercely attached. And and that to not do so is doomed. That's that's what I hear from that group, the, the, the digital yeah, memory folks. The, yeah, but that is memory, right? And retrieval of memory. And right. I'm hearing a different message, which is about reverting to fantasy. Or memory. Interesting. I understood it. I don't know. Interesting. Well, you mean mythos? Or in the sense, I mean, are, are you talking about? But, I, I got that impression is that's what he was he was angling at but I don't know I, we, we don't yeah maybe I should raise the question next time I will say I find this this one with the central theme of Catholicism to be far less clear on their their message than the previous series I I mean I think it's clear on how we're interacting with technology and what needs to be retrieved in order to the idea of what, what it means to have a soul. So, I mean, and he's going through different stages, the electric stage or the digital age and what the digital age's implications are to our memories. I mean- For me, there's too much assumption on the um, religious aspects. They make a lot of assumptions that everyone um, accepts certain okay. religion, religious tenets. There's a lot of assumptions there. I wonder, wonder if there's assumption that it's a self-selecting audience and he doesn't realize that at least two of us are going, what, really? Are you sure? <laughs> Perhaps. 
Maybe we're not vocal enough, DLJ. Could that possibly be? Okay, Could I there be exist a reality in which we're not vocal enough? I don't know how to ask a question without sounding really insulting, so I keep, keep biting my lip. <laughs> I have the same issue. The Vienna comment. Uh, can I share this with you? Because honestly, this really made my blood boil. Can I treat this as a two-second therapy? Is that all right? <laughs> two seconds, because I actually I'm going to the Gita in, in one minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. so the Vienna comment, right? He said, have you noticed how Vienna, Freud was from Vienna. Have you noticed how Vienna is not Jewish anymore? It's Catholic. And I'm going, yeah, my grandparents had a house in Vienna until a nice Catholic family and the SS officer who was the father took over that nice place in Vienna from my Jewish grandparents. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, I know why it's not Jewish anymore. <laughs> you cleaned them out. Sorry, thank you. I'm done. Okay. And, and oh, no. And on that I wasn't note... <laughs> there for that. I wasn't there for that. Um, that was the last one. Oh, you missed it. You missed it. Oh, was, was, that was, Victor, special, was that Victor Gaetan's? Special Victor, yep. No, I, have to go, I, I saw it to watch no. that. No, no, it was the one before, I think, because in this that. last one, um, Mark didn't speak much. Yeah, so so yeah we totally oh, I do remember the Freud one. I do remember the Freud one. No. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Anyway. Okay. We do have to wrap up, though, because... Yeah, um, and I, got, I am going to go, so... Yeah, exactly, but it's good to everyone. see everyone. We are on to evolution and flow next time in, in two weeks. And so maybe we'll just bring all the controversy and the questions uh, to the next one. Before we leave two seconds, I would like to invite Marco to speak up. I just, I'm hoping that we have not like terrorized you into never coming again. Sorry if we did. We kind of ran rampant today. We bored him to sleep. Marco usually has um, oh. bandwidth oh. issues. But Marco usually does have very interesting things to say. So. Oh, okay. Marco? No, I'm just, uh, I'm just listening mostly like, you know, I'm not m much of a talker. So, I'm, you know, I'm no uh, making I'll sure have... we didn't scare you away. No. <laughs> awesome. That is the differentiation. See, that, that is the balance of uh, I'm talking about maybe trade-offs. People get their freedom to, to listen or participate. I have to say, I'm participate. shocked at my inability to clearly articulate my thoughts on that integration versus differentiation. Well, maybe we all have homework for next time then. Write it, write it as a poem. I think you'll be, you'll be fine. In I'll Spanish. In Spanish. <laughs> but Marissa's so much better at poetry in Spanish. She is, so. Indeed. Probably won't read. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I haven't read any ones in Spanish. I don't know that I will. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, this was fun. Yeah. We'll see you it's in two weeks. weeks. Yeah. We're going to do this again. Oh, I'm excited about next week's. Yeah. Two weeks one. Next, next week should be good. Finally, evolution and flow. <laughs> this episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit delvetravel.com. The adventure continues. Ask me why.